welcome to our first Bible study for 2023. Thank you for thank you for coming out uh, tonight. Um, just let me find my place. There we go. Uh, so we'll be commencing a new series uh, for Wednesday night in early February, and I'll keep that as a surprise uh, for now. Uh, we do know what it is. It's not because I don't know. I do know what we're going to be talking about. Um, but I'm going to keep that as a surprise. But there'll be four Bible studies uh, until then, and uh, I will be taking all of them. So I've decided that I'd like to work our way through one of the shortest books of the Bible. Uh, if you're counting verses, this book is the second shortest. But if you're counting words in the original language, this is the shortest. Um, it has 219 Greek words, whereas the second shortest has 245 Greek words. So 219 words, that's basically an email for, for most of us. And uh, the book that I'm talking about is Third John. Okay, this is the shortest book on word count, uh, and its close relative, Second John, is the shortest uh, if verses is the criteria. Okay, so lock that away. You might win Bible trivia one day. Okay, so they're the shortest books of the Bible. Now, when it comes to these short books of the Bible, they're often neglected, and uh, this is to the church's detriment. We can sometimes think that bigger is better, that importance is governed by the quantity of words, but that's certainly not the case. And uh, these short epistles have much uh, important, rich, and relevant teaching for us. We could say it contains many vitamins and get my word right, nutrients that are necessary for a healthy Christian life. So with all of that said, can you open your Bible please to 3 John? And the one hard thing about these small books is sometimes they're hard to find because it's probably only a page or maybe two uh, in your Bible. It's right towards the back. Find Revelation probably turn a couple of pages, you hit Jude, and then you'll hit 3 John. And uh, what I'd actually like to do, I don't get to do this very often, is in the scripture reading, we're going to read the whole book. Okay, Most of the times you'd cringe if I said, that. Like, man, it's going to take forever. But it's 14 verses. I will be focusing on the first four verses tonight. Um, but each time I'd like to read the whole book. So if you come for four weeks... You would have read 3 John four times. You can say you've read a book of the Bible four times in four weeks. That's pretty impressive. So 3 John, let's read the whole book. Starting from verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diostrophes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, 
and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to study your word, and we ask that you would grant to us uh, the gift of illumination through the Spirit, and help us to grow and change and to become a little more like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this uh, particular short letter is very personal and quite intimate. It's written by uh, the Apostle John. He identifies himself as the elder, just like he did in 2 John. And this phrase, the elder, it signifies two things. It establishes his spiritual authority and position within the church. And it also identifies that he is an older man. So this is written at the latter stages of his life. Some suggest that this was written just before the book of Revelation. That's the most common view. But some believe that this was the last written epistle. Okay, so after the book of Revelation. But whatever view one holds to, it was certainly written late in the first century. Now, who was he writing to? Well, he's writing to Gaius. And we know very little about this man. Uh, Gaius was a very uh, common name of the time. If there were like the top baby name list like there are today, Gaius was very high on that list. Uh, we meet several men throughout the New Testament bearing this name. Okay, the name Gaius occurs four other times, okay, although that doesn't mean these were all different people. Okay, we meet Gaius of Macedonia in Acts 19, and he, along with Aristarchus, was seized by the writing mob at Ephesus. Gaius from Derby accompanied Paul on his last trip to Jerusalem. Okay, he was one of the delegates that presented the offering from the Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, we read of him in Acts 20 and verse 4. Then there was Gaius, who was one of only two people baptized by the Apostle Paul at Corinth. We read of this in 1 Corinthians 1.14. And this Gaius of Corinth accommodated the Apostle Paul while he dictated the letter to the Romans. We read of this in Romans 16.23. But there's no reason for us to identify any of these individuals with the Gaius of 3 John. There's no clear evidence, nor is there any subtle evidence to make such an assumption. Now, according to what we see in the text of this short epistle, Gaius was a faithful spiritual leader in a local church, and the Apostle John oversaw the particular church. And he wrote to him to address an issue, and we could think of this issue as the different side of the same coin of the issue addressed in 2 John. Now, in fact, we really need to view 2 and 3 John together to gain a balanced understanding. So 2 John issues a warning, okay? and the warning was that they needed to avoid 
extending hospitality to false teachers. But 3 John is about ensuring that hospitality was extended to those who are faithfully teaching the Bible. And we will get to that particular issue next week. Now this letter, although small in word count, is certainly large in love. Okay, four times John refers to Gaius as well-beloved or beloved. See this in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 5, and verse 11. So we can see that he was a dear friend. He was someone who John treasured and valued. That there was deep and heartfelt love for this man. Okay, that there was fellowship in the truest sense of the words. And when we use fellowship, we're not just talking about your coffee before church, but rather they were sharing life together. There was a bond, there was deep care, that there was deep love. You know, John says in verse 1, he says, Whom I love in the truth. Okay, it's interesting and it's very instructive that love and truth are placed together. Okay, this is something that our society doesn't do. We need to understand true love is grounded in truth, that they cannot be divorced. And this is where our society has really messed it up. Now, with how this is structured, where we read whom I, in the Greek text, this is in the emphatic position. So we would say, you know, it is in bold, it is underlined, it is highlighted. So John is stressing that he loves Gaius. And this could have been written in this way because perhaps Gaius was not feeling the love in his own church. Or perhaps he was unpopular for the stand that he had taken. Sometimes that happens, especially for church leaders. But John wants to make it clear that he really cares for Gaius. He loves this guy. He cherishes him and he tells everybody. And he's not ashamed to declare his love for his friend. And these are the types of relationships that are meant to exist within the church. This is what the gospel produces. In fact, this is the greatest advertisement for the authenticity of the gospel, that we love each other. So the question is, are there people in the church, and you can't be married to the person or related to the person, that you love like this. Can you honestly refer to anyone in the church as beloved? Okay, someone that you cherish, someone that you care for so deeply. Okay, these types of relationships are meant to be commonplace in Christianity. So having identified who wrote the letter, that being John, and to whom it was written, that being Gaius, and the great love that existed between them, okay, that's all found in verse 1, we now move to the next part of the letter. And we need to understand that this is structured like a typical letter of the time. Okay, one commentator made this observation. He said, following the opening greetings in Greco-Roman letters, there often followed an exordium in which the writer established rapport with his readers. Very often this included a prayer or wishes for the good health of the recipients and positive statements about their character and behavior. This letter follows that model. 
Okay, so the apostle is employing standard letter writing practices, and what's called an exordium is what follows in verses 2 to 4. And how I like to work our way through this exordium from John to Gaius is by asking three questions that, that arise out of the text, and all three questions will help to reveal where you and I are at in our sanctification journey. So question number one, is your soul prospering? Verse two says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So as we've established, John commences his letter with a commonly used greeting. And apparently the phrase, thou mayest prosper and be in health, was so commonly used that it was abbreviated into an acronym. And that was how many letters started. Okay, so LOL and so forth isn't a modern invention. Okay, they did it way back then as well. Now, th this doesn't give us reason to doubt the authenticity or the sincerity of what's said, but it's helpful to keep this in mind, okay, that John is employing something that was used in day-to-day -day letter writing. Because there are some who take this phrase, who use verse 2, as justification for what is called the prosperity gospel. Okay? And that, that's ludicrous. It's what I would call exegetical butchery. Okay? That there is no way that this is guaranteeing health, wealth, and prosperity. But what is a fair deduction from this verse is that we can and should be concerned about the body. Okay? We can be concerned about health. We can be concerned about the physical realm and it's okay to pray for such things. Okay, John was desiring and no doubt praying that Gaius would prosper. This word literally means to have a good journey, but could be used in a metaphoric sense as it is here, meaning to succeed or prosper. And the sense of the term is this, I hope things are going well for you. Okay, that's how we would word it today. And then he mentions health. Now this could imply that Gaius had some, some health issues, or again it could just be a general wish and desire that Gaius would be free from any health issues. And as I was thinking about this, I, I think a similar example today is when, when we write a Christmas card, we will often say, you know, wishing you a happy and healthy new year. Okay, I think that's the sense of this terminology. But as I just mentioned, it's not improper, improper for us to be concerned about our bodies and our physical well-being. Okay, the, the issue is getting the priorities in the right order. Okay, spiritual things are more important. Spiritual health is more vital than physical health. But as Christians, okay, we should value the body. Okay, we cannot just ignore the physical, despite it being not as important as the spiritual and we should be concerned about the physical welfare of others it's okay to pray for the health and well-being of others okay this all comes out in how john begins his letter but it's the final phrase of verse two that i want to dig into just a little it says even as thy soul prospereth so john speaks of the spiritual well-being of gaius 
Okay? And, and he makes the declaration, Gaius was spiritually healthy. And the apostle knew this because of the reports that were coming back to him. It's like when you go and get a scan or, or an ultrasound, they will send a detailed report back to your doctor. And many positive reports had been shared with John. He'd received many reports verifying the strength, stability, and stamina of Gaius in the spiritual realm. And what a wonderful thing to be said about you. Okay, here it is under inspiration for the whole world to hear that Gaius, okay, his soul is prospering. Spiritually, he's thriving. You know, he's like that tree in the garden that's growing rapidly and is full of beautiful fruits. He's making great progress in his spiritual life. And notice what John says in this verse, okay, verse 2. He wants his physical condition to be the same as his spiritual condition. And this leads to the point of application that I like to draw out. Okay, if I was to pray for you and the Lord answered my prayer, that your physical health would be the same as your spiritual health, what would happen? Okay, would you be fighting fit? Would you be a little sick? Or would you need to be rushed to the ICU? Okay, how, how is your spiritual health? Is your soul prospering? Or are you quite unhealthy spiritually? Maybe even sick, but perhaps even serious enough to call the spiritual ambulance and have you admitted to the spiritual ICU? You know, if an infallible scan could be conducted right now, what would the report say about your spiritual condition? You know, what does the trajectory of your Christian life look like at this very moment? Okay, it will be headed one of two ways. Will I be going up or will be going down? So, you know, are you becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Now, we're not just talking about what happened today, but, but over the last 12 months, as you look back... Are you more like Jesus now? Okay, has your love for him increased? Is there any joy in the Lord? Are you in the word? Are you praying? Are you having victory over sin? Are you experiencing that the convicting work of the spirit and responding positively to it? Is your soul prospering? And if it's not, what's the great hindrance in your life? What needs to change? Is it that you're working or, or studying too much and, and that's taking you away from the Lord? Is there a relationship that's dragging you away from Jesus and not closer to him? Is there some sin in your life that you're just refusing to, to repent of and to let go? Is there some great bitterness? Is there this root of bitterness in your life due to some difficulty you have experienced? Is there a refusal to deal with personal conflict or harm? Is there an idol in your life? Or are you just lazy with spiritual things? You know, what, what are the weeds in the garden of your soul that's robbing you of spiritual vitality and prosperity? Ask the Lord to make that clear to you. Ask those closest to you, okay, those who love you, 
to provide an honest assessment. And by God's grace, have the weeds eradicated and get back to the path of spiritual prosperity. That's question one. Question two, are you walking in the truth? In verses three and four, we get a glimpse of the prosperous soul. And it reveals how one can have a prosperous soul and how one can maintain a prosperous soul. And this was a quality of Gaius. And this quality produced much joy in the life of the Apostle John. We're told he walked in the truth. Okay, this is the closing phrase of both verses 3 and 4. This was the report shared with John. Okay, varying itinerant preachers under the authority of John had been to the church that Gaius was a part of. They had spent time with him and they all gave Gaius a glowing report. But a question, what does it mean to walk in the truth? What's interesting in John's writings, he refers to three things as truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John also says that the word of the Bible is truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And he also says that the Holy Spirit is truth. 1 John 5, 6, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. Okay, so when John is speaking of truth, he's referring to the scriptures, to the word, to the way of Christ. Now to walk in this, okay, to walk in this truth, it, it means two things. One, it speaks of right belief. So, so it's a steadfast commitment to the gospel, holding firm to correct and sound doctrine. It's knowing the scriptures. It's not being deceived by the many false teachers that were striving to infiltrate the early church that Gaius was a part of. And this aspect is seen clearly in the phrase in verse 3. It says the truth is in thee. Gaius knew the gospel. He had a solid grasp of the scriptures. He was defending sound doctrine. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect of this phrase speaks of the practical outflow. So the truths of the gospel were governing his life. Okay, there was not a disconnect between what he believed and how he lived. He, he conducted his life according to the truth. That there, there wasn't this contradiction. There wasn't this inconsistency between his profession and his practice. That there was no dichotomy between creed and conduct. We would say today he practiced what he preached. His life was an illustration of what he believed. He endeavored to live like Jesus, who is truth. Okay, so this is the prospering soul. One who is walking in the truth. It, it is the one who knows the truth. And then that truth governs how they live their life. Both elements are necessary. And either can be missing in our lives. Okay, so, so we need correct doctrine. 
Okay, it's important that, that we know what we believe and why we believe it. Okay, doctrine and theology is not just for nerds like me who love theology. Okay, it's for everyone. We need to know what we believe. Okay, this is so important. And there's a danger in the time that we live. You know, we live in like the, the DIY society. It's all about practice, practical, practical, practical. Okay, we want to be so practical focused. What do I need to do? How, how does this help me at work tomorrow? Okay, but we don't have belief foundations. Okay, build a house without foundations and see what happens. It'll be disastrous. So we need to know the gospel well, we, we need to have a grasp of doctrine and theology. Right beliefs are integral, and then the practical things flow out of the right beliefs. But then there's another danger. Okay, we can become all about doctrine. Okay, we can have this wonderful grasp of theology. We can defend it confidently. We know what we believe, okay, but it's, it's all here. It's all in our head but it's failing to impact how we live our life. Okay, that, that's a real problem. And then these great inconsistencies appear. Okay, you claim to believe one thing, and yet you're doing something very different in your life. Okay, you get branded a hypocrite. I'm sure you've heard that before. I won't go to church. They're full of hypocrites. Okay, and such a person okay, who will say one thing but do something different does untold damage to the cause of Christ. So where's it at for you? Okay? Are you walking in the truth? Okay, do, do you have that balance right between creed and conduct? Okay, between doctrine and practical living? Okay, are, you, are you leaning more one way? Or are you lacking both in your life? Because when this is lacking or when this is imbalanced, we won't have a soul that is prospering. That's question two. Question three. What brings you joy? Verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, what makes us happy says an awful lot about us. It's an accurate measure of what matters to us and what we prioritize in our life. So a question for you to think about, what brings you the most happiness? Is it advancing your career? Is it your children or grandchildren? Is it your material possessions? Is it your bank account? Is it friends? Is it hobbies? Is it sport? Is it food? Is it good grades? Is it a relationship? Is it something spiritual? Okay, the, the answer to that question will reveal a lot about your priorities and what matters the most to you. And we get a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle John. Okay, what, what caused him great joy, even as an aged man, was to hear of the spiritual progress of his children. Okay, he, he was thrilled that they were walking in the truth. When creed and conduct were balanced and in harmony, this was something that made him very happy. Now when we read of children in this verse, it's talking about either those who were saved through John's ministry. You know, think of how Timothy was referred to as the son of Paul. Or it could be referring to all those in the churches that John was responsible for as pastor. Okay, he oversaw a lot of churches. 
Okay, but either way, he was overjoyed when somebody was saved and then when they continued in the faith. Okay, when they advanced the cause of Christ. This was something that meant so much to the apostle. And, and this can be applied in many ways. And I, here are a couple I'd like to share with you. Okay, so number one. The impact we can have on the lives of others. Okay, the impact we can have on the lives of others. You know, as Christians, we have a wonderful privilege to make a huge impact on the lives of others. Okay, we get to play a role in helping others walk in truth. So when you're teaching that Sunday school class, when you're a leader on Friday night, when you're encouraging others in church, this is all helping others walk in truth. Okay? And you're having a massive impact, perhaps even an, et an eternal impact in the lives of others. And that is a tremendous privilege. You know, I know sometimes it can be very hard to keep showing up. It can be hard to, to keep writing lesson after lesson. But remember the potential behind what you were doing by God's grace. People get saved through this. P people grow spiritually through this. People can end up advancing the cause of Christ. And you play a key role in others walking in truth. Number two. We ought to be joyful about spiritual progress. And which would cause us great joy when others get saved and when we see people changing and making progress and overcoming sin in their lives as believers that should be something that thrills us whether it be in our own life or whether that be in the lives of others okay john described this as one of the greatest joys of his life okay and we know that he was a pastor okay and that's certainly applicable to pastors, I of all people should be thrilled when people are making spiritual progress and having victory. If I'm not, there's something wrong. I need to change jobs. Okay, but this is something that should thrill all Christians. Okay, we should be filled with joy when we hear that someone's come to Christ or, or when we see that someone is making great progress in their lives. So may the Lord help us to get more joy out of spiritual things. Number three, what about our children and grandchildren? You know, ought not this to be the, the chief concern with our children and grandchildren or future children and grandchildren, that they walk in the truth, that they would embrace Christ as Savior, that they would love him, that they would serve him. Ought that not to be our chief desire as parents and grandparents? And shouldn't it thrill us when it happens? And yet so often we can become far more concerned about the education of the child or the career pathway or the sporting prowess or the music ability. Okay, that they would buy a home. Now all of these things, okay, they aren't wrong. But surely these things ought not to bring us as much joy as them walking in the truth. Shouldn't that be the greatest thing? Shouldn't that be okay, what we want to happen in their lives? 
Okay, these things that I've just mentioned ought not to be the, the primary focus, and yet often they are. Okay, we, we become consumed with these things. Far more time, money, effort, and energy is poured into these things, and the spiritual can get very easily neglected, particularly from dads. Dads can drop the ball. Okay, our primary role is to be the spiritual leader in the home. And then think about, you know, what, what are the things that get celebrated in the home? It's often these things that, are, that I've mentioned, and that's not wrong, but shouldn't the spiritual things be celebrated much more? You know, the thing that we should desire the most, and the thing that should bring us the most joy, is that our children and grandchildren know and love the Lord Jesus and are serving him, that they are walking in the truth. You know, I'm not an expert father. I fail a lot, but you know my prayer is every day, Lord, I pray that my children would grow to love you and to serve you. That's the thing that I want more than anything else in life. And then number four, are we a source of joy or discouragement? Okay, when people look at our lives, are they encouraged by what they see? Okay, that's what happened with Gaius. People, John looked at his life and he was encouraged. Okay, when people look at us, is it, wow, look, look at the progress that they have made. The Lord is really working in their lives. It's like, wow, they've changed. What, what, what a blessing to see them walking in the truth. Or do people look at our life and think, man, they're, they're not where they used to be. That the spiritual fire, it's not burning as bright as it once did. They're, they're on the, the spiritual slippery dip. Okay? They're, they're sliding away and it's so discouraging. Are you a source of encouragement or a source of discouragement when people look at the spiritual progress in your life? So as Christians, we're all on a sanctification journey. Okay, This is God's plan. This is God's will for us that we would be more and more like Christ. And with his help, may we have souls that are prospering. May we be walking in the truth and may spiritual growth be a source of great joy in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for this book in our Bible. It's the shortest book uh, in the Bible and yet we're not surprised that it is so full of wonderful truth and so rich uh, and helpful for our lives and uh, Lord thank you um, for, for the lessons uh, that are here for us uh, to learn and by your grace please help us to uh, apply uh, where relevant may it be said of us that our, that our souls are prospering and that we're making great progress in our spiritual lives please help us with this Lord as we go our separate ways please uh, keep us safe Help us to, to shine the gospel light brightly in our very dark community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.